0: Please bow your heads for the prayer of illumination. Gracious Father, we sit at your right hand in and with our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Extend your mighty scepter to us from your throne, clothe us in your splendor, purify and pardon us Through the work of our priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, and speak to us through him, who is your great prophet, to whose words we submit. In his name, amen. Please open your Bibles to Hebrews 7. It is found on page 1205 1205 of your red Bibles. We'll begin with verse 1. And then we'll skip to verses 17 and 21 as well. I'll tell you when we skip it. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness, then also king of Salem, means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the son of God, he remains a priest forever. Just think how great he he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder Now the law requires the descendants of Levi, who become priests, to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from the fellow Israelites, even though they also are descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descendant from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises." And without doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater. Let's go to verse 17. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Verse 21. But he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Would you please turn with me and your Bibles to our Old Testament reading, which is from Genesis chapter 14, uh, beginning with verse 17. This is on page 15 if you're using the red Bibles. Genesis chapter 14, uh, beginning with verse 17. Let me give you just a sense of what we're reading here, a little background. Uh, Remember last week if you were here we read chapter 12 and in chapter 12 uh, God called Abraham to leave his people, his culture, his religion and God promised to bless Abraham and to make him a great blessing to all the nations. But then right after that there was a famine and Abraham had to go down into Egypt. Now While Abraham is in Egypt, um, he does some really unfaithful and stupid things that put his wife Sarah in great danger. You can read about that in chapter 12. Uh, As a result, Pharaoh kicks him out of Egypt, and he heads back to the land of promise. Then in chapter 13, right before our passage, uh, Abraham and his nephew Lot are looking at the land. And Abraham says, Lot, there's so many of us now. Why don't you pick the part of the land that you want to live in and I'll just go in the other direction and we can have peace. And so Lot picks the beautiful land and Abraham takes everything that's left over. And then when you get to chapter 14, where we'll be reading, uh, here's what happens in the first several verses. One group of small kingdoms attacks another small group of kingdoms. And what happens is that in this attack, Lot, Abraham's nephew, uh, who lived in the city of Sodom, he lost his, the, Sodom, uh, the Sodomites and the people that they are um, allied with. They lose the battle. And that means that Abraham's nephew, Lot, is taken captive along with his family. And all of their goods are plundered. And now these kings are making off with all of these people and possessions. And so what Abraham does then is he goes out with his 318 warriors and in the middle of the night he chases down these winning armies and he rescues the people, uh, these prisoners of war. He takes back the money and the treasures that they had stolen. He releases the women who were taken captive. He releases his nephew Lot and his family as well. And so then we come in chapter 14, beginning with verse 17 to our passage today. Let's hear God's word together. After Abram returned from defeating Kedorah La- Laumer and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh, that is, the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hands. Then Abram gave him, the king of Salem, a tenth of everything. Verse 21, the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, With raised hand I have sworn an oath to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, Not even a thread or the strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me, to Aner, to Eshkol, and to Mamre. Let them have their share. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Advent is either a hopeful time or it's kind of a countdown to a big letdown, depending on how you experience it. Let me tell a story that's pretty common, I think, but with, I'll give it a Zurich twist. Let's say that there are two women Right? Let's say that both of them are employed by Credit Suisse. Now, they're not banking executives. They are in charge of cleaning the toilets. And one of these women says, this is the worst job. I don't think I can keep doing it. But the other woman, is doing the same work, but she's smiling and she's humming and she even can be caught dancing a little bit while she does her work. What is the difference between these two women? Well, the first woman is getting paid 15 Swiss francs per hour. The second woman is being paid 15,000 Swiss francs per hour. One of them at the end of the month won't have enough in her paycheck to really live in Canton Zurich. The other one will be rich by the end of the month. It all depends on what you expect in the future. It all depends, we might say, on Advent, on what's coming. So our strange Bible story, you you see that this is a strange story, right? It takes us back once again to Advent with Abraham and I think it shows us three things Advent means the end of hoarding Advent means the beginning of helping and healing and Advent means the mind of heaven the end of hoarding the beginning of helping and healing and the mind of heaven so let's take a look shall we First of all, Advent means the end of hoarding. Advent, at its essence, means coming. That's what the word means, coming. For Abraham, Advent means that God has promised to bless him and to bless the whole world through him. That's what we studied last week. Advent with Abraham means trusting that these promises that God gave, unbelievable as they are, are nevertheless true. And with these blessings on the way then, Abraham ends up with a very different relationship to wealth and possessions than many of us. And so Advent with Abraham means the end of hoarding. The end of taking and keeping everything for yourself. It's interesting, there's two different kings that meet Abram in this passage. Let's take a look at these encounters. First, verse 17, uh, the king of Sodom comes to meet Abram. Now remember, as I told you before, that Abraham saved this king and a bunch of other kings. And so this king really owes Abraham everything. Abraham could have kept all of the plunder, all of the gold and silver for himself. He could have kept the soldiers. He could have kept the women. But Abraham does not need to take, take, take. He doesn't need more, more, more. For Abraham, Advent, the coming of God's blessings, means... The end of hoarding. So that's the first encounter with a king. The second one, um, actually, let's back up and finish this one off. Verse 21, the king of Sodom uh, says, look, Abraham, give me just the people. You keep the stuff and the money. And Abraham is able to say then, verse 22, king, I, I don't need anything from you. In fact, you can't. Make me rich. Only God, most high, can make me rich. Now, if you read the book of Genesis with open eyes, you realize that Abraham does some really stupid and really unfaithful things throughout his life. But here, at least, Abraham is walking in Advent faith. Okay, so now the second king comes out to meet Abraham. This king is Melchizedek, king of Salem. That's sort of shorthand for Jerusalem. There's a king in a city called Jerusalem, long before Abraham, long before David. And in verse 20 here, it's stunning that Abraham turns over one-tenth of his belongings to Melchizedek. So first, Abraham defeats all these kings. He liberates all these other kings. And he's their lord now. But he doesn't take their money. But then Abraham bows down to this king of Salem and gives this king 10% of everything that he has. This is really stunning. An advent heart learns to see with the eyes of Abraham's faith when Abraham is seeing clearly. Advent is the end of the hoarding of our blessings for ourselves. Because after all, an Advent heart knows that God is on the way, that he's coming with blessing upon blessing upon blessing. You know, every week we sing praise God from whom all blessings flow. Do we believe it at the depths of our being? Advent is here to teach us that all of God's best blessings are still to come, are still coming to us in the future and are by faith as good as ours even now. Do we believe that Does it show in our lives? Do we as advent people with our time and our wealth and our energy, do we act as though we have to just grab everything that we can get and keep it for ourselves out of some fear that if we don't, we'll lose everything? Or do we, do we know with our hearts And then show with our lives that we know that the greatest blessings of all are still coming to us in the future. Advent means, for Abraham, for us as Advent people, the end of hoarding. But Advent with Abraham is not only the end of hoarding. Um, Advent with Abraham also means the beginning of helping and healing. It's interesting that in our passage here, Abraham is getting involved in things that he doesn't really have to get involved in, right? He could have just ignored all this geopolitical stuff. He could have been an isolationist, you might say. But for Abraham, what happened to his nephew Lot And especially what happened and what would have happened to the women in all of these families that were taken captive. This was an injustice. Foreign armies had taken their possessions. That's bad enough. But they'd carried their people off to be slaves and who knows what else. And so it seems like Abraham hears the news of this. And he says to himself, look. I'm blessed, but I know that I'm blessed in order to be a blessing. And so I'll take my trained soldiers, 318 of them, and I will engage my resources and my wealth, and I'm going to go and try to liberate my nephew and his family from captivity. Abraham wanted to do what was right, to bring help, to bring healing, to restore what had been lost. Now, of course, the point here is not to say that every international geopolitical problem is your problem personally. And the point is certainly not to say American-style interventionism is the way to go and Swiss neutrality aw you people staying out of other people's business, shame on you. That's not what we're talking about at all. But, if any of us, individually, if, if we as a people have been blessed by Abraham's God, the God most high, then we are blessed in order to be a blessing. And so as we wait in Advent hope for more of God's coming blessing, then in the meantime, we look around as God's blessed people. We look around for opportunities to bring God's blessing to others in Jesus' name. And so if you and if I are walking in Advent faith, then that means that we're walking around our home, our church, our neighborhood, our workplace. And we're asking, could I maybe bring a little bit of help, a little bit of healing, just a little bit here and there and whenever I have a chance? This is what it means for Advent with Abraham to get a hold of our hearts. We begin to look for chances to bring help and healing. So maybe you're saying to yourself, all right, preacher, what do you really want me to do? Like, what do I have to do to not feel guilty about this anymore? Okay, I've got to help people. I've got to try to heal people. I've got to quit hoarding, so how much do I have to give, huh? How much will help? How much will heal? How much can I keep for myself and still be okay? Others of you maybe are are saying, preach it, pastor. There's so many greedy people in the world. In fact, I know some people I wish were here hearing this sermon because they're not generous enough. You know what? I am both of those people that I described, all in one. And probably some of you are, too. I like the idea of being a helper, of bringing healing. I like the idea of being a giver, a generous person. And I wish, oftentimes, that other people were more generous, less stingy more ready to bring help and healing. But part of me just wants to look like I'm generous with my time and my resources. I want you and my neighbors to think, boy, that guy is generous. But just like you, I don't like to be challenged to actually be more generous. And so if you're anything like me, then you and I need Advent to get deeper into our hearts today. And the only way that Advent with Abraham will actually mean the end of hoarding and the beginning of real help and healing through the blessing we give is if, above all, Advent with Abraham means that we get the mind of heaven Look at how Advent gave Abraham the mind of heaven here. Verse 18. This Melchizedek fellow comes out of nowhere. It's like he was hiding behind a tree or something and then just said, Abraham, hi, I'm the king of Salem. I'm Jerusalem's king, Abraham. I worship the one God, the God of all the other gods. And unlike all these other people in Canaan, I know the God personally who made heaven and earth. And Abraham, as a king, I'm trying to rule my people in a way that serves the real king, the one who made everything and after all, rules me and everyone else. And so Melchizedek says to Abraham, I'm a king, but that also means that I'm kind of a priest of this most high God also. Abraham, I hear that you have been called by this one most high God also, that he's given you promises, promises that you'll be blessed, that your children's children will end up blessing the nations of all the earth. And I hear that you want to pray and worship and live according to these blessings of God. And I heard that that's why you went off and rescued your nephew and restored the things that were plundered and liberated the women who had been taken captive. Abraham, Melchizedek says, I'm not here to try to create a political alliance with you. Instead, what I have is some bread and some wine. And I have the blessing of the true God. So let's eat and let's drink and let's praise the one true God together. I'll give you a benediction from the true God, a blessing. How does that sound, Abraham? And Abraham must have been stunned by this. Just stunned. Where did this guy come from? I thought that I was the only one who served the most high and true God around here. And here he is he's a king greater than me already here in the land ruling and worshiping the true god and he's come out of nowhere and he's congratulated me yes but he's gonna bless me with god's own words maybe god's promises are true i mean of course they're true but wow god's promises are really true. God really has loved me and rescued me and now is going to bless me in order to be a blessing. And so they take the bread and they eat it and they drink the wine. And then Melchizedek lifts up his hands over Abraham and he puts God's blessing upon his life. And then they both lift up their hands to heaven and they bless and praise the God Most High together. And then Abraham says, Melchizedek, thank you. I want to give you one tenth of everything that I, ha- I have. There's no way that I can outgive or outbless the God that we worship. His promises to me and. To to the nations are so rich that my little gift to you is nothing compared to all that he's given me, all that he will give me soon. And he gives to Melchizedek one-tenth. Advent, God's coming to bless the nations, has come home to Abraham's mind and to his heart. 1,000 years later, in Psalm 110, which we meditated on a little bit ago, David is now the king. And Psalm 110 calls David a king, but also a priestly figure, and says that he is sitting there in that same city, ruling and priesting, and he's doing so like Melchizedek. David sits on the throne in that same city and tries to carry on Melchizedek's ministry. It's really marvelous. And this is such a weird Psalm 110, because the Psalm says, David is priest, David is king forever. How? I mean, David is going to die? Did you know that Psalm 110 that talks about Melchizedek and his priesthood and kingship, this is actually the chapter of the Old Testament that is quoted most often in the New Testament, over and over and over again. And Jesus himself says that David was not ultimately writing in Psalm 110 a song about himself and how he'll be king and priest forever, but David was looking for one of his sons after him or his son's sons to be the king forever and, in fact, David's own lord. So David's song is actually about Jesus Christ. Jesus is the true priest king of Salem following Melchizedek. He's the priest king on David's own throne and he's there forever. Think about that, the maker of heaven and earth himself comes to live in our flesh, to rule, to bless, to be our priest. Not just to be our priest but also to be the sacrifice for our sins and through all of that reigning and priesting and the giving of himself as a sacrifice to be a blessing for all of the nations, and then to make us, his people, a blessing for all of the nations. The thing that got into Abram's heart that day, the stunning surprise for Abraham that day with Melchizedek was the realization that God was already at work in the world long before he got to work in the life of Abraham. And when he realized that God was at work, that gave him a heart full of confidence that the God who promised him great blessing would indeed fulfill all of those promises. How can Abraham's advent mean the end of hoarding and the beginning of helping and healing in his life? Well, because he's stunned once again by all the blessings that he's received How can Advent be the end of hoarding and the beginning of helping and healing through our ministry to one another and to the people around us? Well, you and I need to be surprised and stunned again, don't we? To realize again that our Melchizedek, the Lord Jesus Christ has come to us with blessing and he's come to us with bread and with wine And he's come to us with the very benediction of his heavenly father over our lives. And with so much more. And friends, if our hearts are stunned, if our minds are captivated, once again surprised by this reality, then we will finally have the confidence that the God who promised to come again in Christ Jesus, to make his blessings known, will indeed come and fulfill all of his promises. And once our minds are captured, once our hearts are thrilled by this hope, then we can answer the calling, can't we, to live our lives as a response to this stunning surprise, to give our resources to others and do it joyfully in Jesus' name, to have the mind of heaven control our minds, to have our minds become Mind of the Lord Jesus Christ, as Paul says. We start to remember that there's no way that we can outgive the giver, out bless the blesser. And so friends, let's have ourselves the kind of advent where we whistle while we work, where we hum a tune and we dance even when the work is annoying and boring, where our days are repetitive. Let's have the kind of advent that convinces us once again that we can have a lot or we can have a little, but we can never, we can never pour out blessing on others as great as the blessings that Jesus has poured out on us. Because our Lord Jesus has come and he's poured himself out for us completely, all the way to the end. His very life, a blessing for us and for all the nations. And because we know with Advent hope that our Lord Jesus will come again soon to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. My, we can, we can love one another with abandon and with great joy and with great hope. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would seal this truth to our hearts and give us the faith and the heart and the mind that you gave to Abraham on that day. Surprise and stun us, we pray, by revealing our Lord Jesus to us again. And each time that we, during this Advent season, whether here at the communion table or around our tables, take bread and take wine and rejoice in your blessings, may we remember that your Son has come to make all of your blessings known, to smile your face upon us, to break bread and to drink the cup with us. And then has promised to do so again in the future with great joy. Transform us by that reality, Lord, so that we can be your people, a kingdom of priests to all the nations. And we ask it together in Jesus, our great high priest's name. Amen.